Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Friday the 14th of October, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield are a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geoblocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Go to LibertyShield.com and use the code EPL, VP, EPL25. EPL25 to get 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, it is Friday, so Guy will be with us for the Premier League preview. But first, let's recap last night's European action, starting with the Europa uh, Europa League. AEK Lanica 1, Fenerbahce 2, João Pedro and Michi Batshuayi with the goals for Fenerbahce. Uh, Tchaikovsky with the goal from the penalty spot for Larnica, who had a man sent off late on. Uh, Bodo Glimp nil, Arsenal won, but Kyle Sackett with the only goal of the game there. Nantes nil, Freiburg four. Comprehensive victory for the German side. Feyenoord two, Mittelian two. Uh, Quinton Timper and David Hanko with the goals of Feyenoord. Emiliano Martinez and Eric Svachenko with the goals for Mittelian. Another exciting game. Between those two sides, Dinamo Kiev nil, Ren one, Christopher Wu with the only goal of the game. Uh, Quarabeg nil, Olympiakos nil, Union St. Gilles three, Braga three, uh, a hat trick for Vitor Manuel Carvalho Oliveira, uh, Victor Boniface and Dante Vanzier with the goals for Union St. Gilles. Real Betis won, Roma won, Sergio Canellas scored in the first half for Betis, Andrea Bellotti scored to equalise in the second half for Roma. Uh, PSV 5, FC Zurich 0, Eric Gutierrez 2 from Joey Verman, uh, Ibrahim Sanger and Anwar El Ghazi, Aston Villa legend, with the goals for PSV. 
Manchester United won. Ammonia, ammonia won. Sorry, ammonia nil. What am I thinking? Um, Scott McTominay scored in the 93rd minute to avoid one of the more embarrassing results in United's recent history. In this game, the away side had three shots with one on target. United had 34 shots. 34 shots. 13 on target. The Ammonia goalkeeper was absolutely sensational. Azoho, absolutely, Francis Azoho, ridiculous performance by the 23-year-old. He is, firstly, huge, six foot six. And secondly, if last night is any, any indication of what he can be, he is incredible. He is their backup goalkeeper. He is their backup goalkeeper. And that performance last night was sensational. He has fallen off a little bit from a few years ago when he was, I think, Nigeria's first choice goalkeeper. Um, But at 23, he's surely going to be someone that attracts attention from bigger clubs who might be able to give him more opportunities. He's also a huge United fan. Uh, the poor fella can't be perfect, obviously. But that performance last night was sensational. Some of the saves he made were ridiculous. But United should be ashamed of themselves. They were basically at full strength, other than Cristiano playing up front and Fred in for Ericsson. That's the full strength United team. Rashford would be up front or Martial. If it's Rashford, then Sancho's in on the wing. If it's Martial, Rashford stays in the wing. And Eriksen in for Fred, although Casemiro Fred is Brazil's first choice midfield. Um, shocking stuff. Uh, Ludogorets to HJK Helsinki nil. Uh, Denny Gropper and the man called Rick with the goals there. Real Saucy then three. Sheriff Tiraspol nil. Sorlot, Rico and Navarro with the goals. Union Berlin one. Malmo nil, Robin Nonch with the last minute penalty. Ferenc Varos two, Red Star Belgrade one. A man whose name I can't say and another man whose name I won't try and say with the goals for Ferenc Varos. Stefan Mitrovic with the only goal for Red Star. Great win for Ferenc Varos. Trabzonspor four, Monaco nil. That's a disastrous result for Trabzonspor. Uh, Malang Sar scoring an own goal to put Trabzonspor one up. Victor Hugo, or Vitor Hugo, sorry, Vitor Hugo, uh, Ennis Bardi, and Aston Villa Loney, or former Aston Villa player, I'm not sure that he leave permanently. Trezeguet with the goals there. Um, <clears throat> that wasn't even a first choice Trabzonspor team. They were missing a couple of players. Um, Umar did. Moore did come off the bench, but he would be a first-choice starter. Um, Mark Hamzik is there. Mark Bartra is there. There's a, a lot of players you might be wondering where they are that are currently playing in Turkey. And um, great to see Yusuf Yasiki back at Trabzonspor after a, a weird spell at Lille. Didn't play last night, but I'm sure he'll work his way into that team. 
And finally, Lazio 2, Sturm Graz 2, Chiro Mobile and Pedro with the goals for Lazio. William Boving with the double for Sturm Graz. They went one behind, equalised, two one behind, equalised, fair play. Manuel Lazari was sent off just on half time for Napoli uh, and yet they still managed to get a result, though they will be disappointed. Uh, that leaves the tables looking as follows. In Group A, Arsenal top on nine. They've played a game less because their PSV game got called off. PSV are second on seven. Those two are going through one way or another. Bodo Glimt third on four points and Zurich bottom with no points. Uh, Group B, Fenerbahce top with 10. Ren second, also 10. Larnaca third with three. And Dinamo Kiev really, really disappointing, but not surprising considering what's going on in their homeland. Uh, zero points. Group C, Real Betis top with 10 points. Ludogorets second with seven. Roma third with four points. Now, in Roma's case, they do have Ludogorets and HJK in their last two games, and they should win both. Uh, but Roma, so far, disappointment. And HJK sit bottom on one point. In Group D, it's Union St. Gilles top with 10 points. Braga second with seven. Union, uh, Union Berlin third with six. And Malmo bottom with no points. Group E, Real Sociedad are top, 12 points. United are second with nine points. Sheriff are third with three points, and Ammonia are bottom on no points. Group F, all four teams have five points. Feyenoord are top, Mitlian second, Lazio third, and Sturm Graz in fourth. Quite impressive. Um, Freiburg top group G with 12 points. Them and Arsenal, the only teams with a perfect record so far. Oh, and Real Sociedad, actually. Forgot about them. They've won four as well. Um, Quarabeg, second on seven. Nantes, third on three. And Olympiacos, bottom on one point. And then in Group H, it is Ferencvaros, top with nine points. Trabzonspor have six points. Monaco have six points. And Red Star have no points. In the Europa Conference League, Apollon beat Azel Alkmaar 1-0. Valentin Robers with the only goal of the game. Partizan Belgrade beat Cologne 2-0. Diabate and Pires Gomes with the goals there. Fiorentina 5, Hearts 1. Another hammering for Hearts. Luka Jovic, Baraji, 2 for Nico Gonzalez and Barak with the goals there. That one was over by halftime. It was 4-0. Uh, Stephen Humphreys did add a consolation goal after the break. But that second Gonzalez goal from the penalty spot kind of just put the icing on the cake for the Italians. Istanbul, Besiktas, three, ORFS, nil. Turic and Okaka with the goals. Derek Okaka got two. Cluj, two. Slavia, Prague, nil. Diak and Matthias with the goals. Austria, Vienna, nil. Villarreal, one. Nicholas Jackson with the only goal of the game. Nicholas Jackson sounds like a fellow who should be from like Sussex or Surrey, maybe. Um, but he is obviously that's not what he is. Um, 
Nicholas Jackson is from Senegal. Another very, very talented, exciting young player that they have managed to cultivate there at Villarreal. And between himself, Alex Baena, obviously Jeremy Pino, Samuel Chukwesi, they have developed some really talented players over the last couple of years. Players that could go on to leave for big money and help that club continue to be so self-sufficient in the coming years. Slovan Bratislava, three. Basel, three. Vladimir Weiss, still kicking about with a penalty. Juraj uh, Kuka, who was awful for Watford last year, and coverage with the goals for Slovan. Malez Diof, Diof rather, and Zakiri with the goals for Basel. Jurgarden four. Ghent, two. Holmberg, Weichmann and Banda with the goals for Jurgarden, De Potre and Kuipers with the goals for Ghent. Vaduz won, Dnipro two. Uh, Rastador with the goal for Vaduz or Vaduz. Hamash and Dovbik. Dovbik? Dovbik? I'm not sure. Artem Dovbik, I'm going to go with. Um, with the goals for Dnipro. Good win for them away from home. Nice won Slo- Slovakia two. Awful result for Nice here. Uh, Sofian Diop had put them one up on 14 minutes. Tomic scored on 75 to equalise. Tadebo was sent off for Nice on 84. And Ryan Burke made it 2-1 to Slovakia on 86. I think Nice might be looking at managerial change. Has... Um, has Lucian Farr been sacked yet? Let's have a quick gander. Uh, nope, not yet, but it will come soon. Don't you worry. Uh, Zalgiris 1, Pionic, sorry, Zalgiris 2, Pionic 1. Orega and Oliveira with the goals for Zalgiris. Osbilis with the goal for Pionic from the penalty spot. This one hurts. Stoya Bucharest, or what was Stoya Bucharest, nil. Silkberg 5. Kusk, Klinge, Hengstead, and two from Jurgensen, giving Silkberg a big, big away win. The only reason I say it hurts is because there's a player I really like in that Stoya team, Octavian Popescu, 19-year-old winger. Really, really talented player. Really, really talented player. And he is going to get dragged into the muck at that club because... They've just made such a complete mess of everything over the last few years. Like, he's not the first superbly talented winger to come along at Stoya in recent years. Florinel Coleman, five years ago, looked like he was going to be an absolute star. And he's still there, and he hasn't kicked on, and he struggles to get in the national team squad now, let alone the first 11. Now, I know he has had some injuries, but it's it's just such a shame because he, not even five years ago, you go back to 1920s, banging in 15 goals from the wing. He looked like such a talent. And now he's kind of an afterthought. He'll probably never, um, he'll probably never leave. If I do Popescu, I assume he's Octavian's older brother. 
I assume Ovidio Popescu is Octavian's older brother, but I don't know. Um, West Ham 2, Anderlecht 1, Ben Rama, and a really good goal from Jared Bowen. Sebastiano Esposito with the penalty spot consolation in the 89th minute for Anderlecht. West Ham should have had that game put to bed much, much earlier. Flynn Downs, very, very impressive once again for them. Uh, Beersheva won, Lech Poznan won, Homer Hemeth with a penalty in, on the ninth minute, and a, a fellow whose name I'm not even going to try. Uh, first name, Philippe, um, or Philip, for Lech on 44 minutes. Uh, always stay in your lane and appreciate that there's just certain things you can't do. That's the, the method I'm going to take with names from now on. Uh, Balkany won, Sivaspor two. Taki with the goal for Balkany, Arslan and Angel Angelski Angelski with the um, comeback and winner goal for Sivaspor. Great away win there, and then Shamrock Rovers nil. Molda two, Fafana and Eriksson can go and shite. Uh, on to the tables then. It's Group A. Istanbul, Besiktas top with 10 points, Fiorentina second with seven, Hearts third on three, and RFS with two. Interesting. Um, Group B, West Ham top, 12 points, Silkberg second on six, Anderlecht third on four, and Stoya bottom on one. Group C, we have Villarreal top, 12 points. Lech Poznan on five points. Beersheva on three. And Austria Vienna on one. Group D has Partizan with eight points. Nice with five. Cologne with four. Slovakia with one. Group E has Azad Alkmaar top with nine points. Dnipro second with one, sorry, with seven points. Apolline are next along with four points and Vaduce are bottom with two points. Group F, Jurgarden are top with 10, Molda second with seven, Ghent third with four and Rovers bottom with one. Sivaspor top group G. This was the group that I had real hope for that we might get all teams finishing on the same points with the same goal difference and it could still happen depending on what happens from here out. But Sivaspor are top with seven points. Cluj are second with seven points. Slavia Prague, they're next with four. And Balkany also have four. Before that game, or before that round of games, all four teams had four points. All four teams had zero goal difference, uh, but no longer the case there. And finally, Group H, Basel top with seven. Pionic second with four with, with six. Slovan Bratislava next with five and Zalgiris bringing up the rear with four points. Uh, quickly through the news, Neymar, Brazil Ford faces five-year prison term over transfer to Brazil. A Brazilian investment firm has called for Neymar to face a five-year prison sentence when he stands trial next week on fraud and corruption charges related to his transfer to Barcelona from Santos in 2013. DIS 
who owned 40% of the rights to the Brazilian Ford at the time, argues it lost out because the transfer fee was undervalued. Neymar has denied the allegation, but lost his appeal in the Spanish High Court in 2017, leading to the trial being brought by Spanish prosecutors. Um, Mental. That transfer was nine years ago. Barcelona said at the time Neymar's of Neymar's move that the transfer fee was 57.1 million euros, of which 40 million euros was paid to his family. 17.1 million was paid to Santos, of which this investment firm got 40%. That's mental. So obviously they're claiming they should have gotten 40% of the 57 million, which would be a significant chunk of money. You'd be talking about nearly 12 million, sorry, nearly 24 million. And instead they got what, six, six and a half. Yeah, you'd be a little bit upset, to be fair. You would be a little bit upset. Um, will we know if Neymar's in prison? Because he's a part-time footballer anyway. Maybe they'll let him out to play games or play half the games. Um, Wolves in talks with former boss Nuno over return. I, I just think this will be awful. I, unless it's just get us to the end of the season and keep us in the division. But then what if he does and you do well? Then you just back to getting him. Um there are some very silly Wolves fans. I think Nuno should be giving another chance. We have different players, and he does seem to inspire the team. Ask Spurs. Ask Spurs. It was the right decision to let him go. It would be awful to bring him back. You let him go because the style of football was boring. You sacked Bruno Lage Bruno because the style of football, in your eyes, was boring. Now, in fairness, they were going after Lopetegui, who does play boring football. Uh, we could have actually had Nuno in our team as a good goalkeeper. Or did we have Nuno? Maybe we did have Nuno. No, we had Lopetegui. Hmm. Anyway... On to the gossip, and then we'll go to break and bring Guy in. Uh, former Chelsea boss Thomas Tuchel would be interesting taking over as England manager if Gareth Southgate leaves after the World Cup. Now, Southgate has said his intention is to stay until 2024, so I don't know. Uh, Tottenham are interested in Josco Guardiola. He'd be a great signing, and Tottenham's the perfect club for him. Chelsea expect to complete the signing of Christopher Nkunku before the start of the World Cup. Leipzig might have something to say about that. Chelsea are also prepared to pay €100 million for Jude Bellingham. Okay. Uh, Lazio president says Manchester United will not sign Sergei Milinkovic-Savage for less than €105 Every month the price goes up, he adds. Brilliant. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain have strongly denied claims 
that they use a third party to launch a social media smear campaign against Kylian Mbappe. These things are more common than you would think in both directions. There are clubs using third parties to launch propaganda about certain players or, or their club. And Barcelona were caught doing this in terms of a smear campaign. It would be no surprise if PSG did the same. Arsenal are planning to open new contract talks with Granit Xhaka. Wonderful. Frankie de Jong wants to leave Barcelona. He had all summer to go. AC Milan have offered Rafael Leao a new contract in an effort to ward off interest from Chelsea. Joao Santos, the agent of Chelsea and Italy midfielder Jorginho, has said they both prioritise him staying at Stamford Bridge beyond the end of his contract because no one else will pay him that kind of money. Atletico Madrid have no intention of selling Portugal forward Joao Felix in January despite the 22-year-old's frustration at playing a bit part in recent weeks. England manager Gareth Southgate will offer his full support to Harry Maguire. Why wouldn't he do that to Trent, though? Like, Trent is a much better player than Harry Maguire, and Southgate has been part of those piling on Trent. And yet, Maguire, who can't even get a game at club level, uh, is like a protected species. Newcastle are weighing up a potential move for Vasco da Gama's Brazil midfielder, Andre Santos. I think that one was... That's a regurgitation of something from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we'll take a break there. Oh, before we do, actually, Reese James looks like he might miss the World Cup. He has a knee injury that is apparently more serious than was first thought and may have to undergo surgery, which would mean no World Cup. It also looks like Kyle Walker could miss the World Cup, which means England going into the World Cup with Kieran Trippier as their first choice right back. Well, well, well. And left back. And left back, yeah. First choice on both sides. That was the voice of Guy Drinkle. When we come back after this break, we will be joined by Guy Drinkle. We'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, we are joined by Mr. Drinkle. How are you, sir? I am very good, Dave. Liverpool play last on the weekend, so they can't ruin the rest of the weekend for me. Well, you know, it's true. It kind of ruins the weekend in that we know what the outcome is going to be, and we just have to wait for it to happen. Yeah, but if it happened on Saturday at lunchtime, it would ruin both days. I don't know. I think I'd be over it by Sunday. Not over it, over it, but like, at least it'd be out of the way. Ideally, I'd like them to be playing tonight and then it'd just be over. Because, <laughs> like, it's it's a little bit like being on death row and knowing that you're you know, you're facing the chair or the needle or whatever it is they use these days in, in bizarre places in America that still live in the Stone Age. And just knowing that it's going to happen and there's nothing you can do about it. All your appeals have been exhausted. All the courts have said, absolutely not. Off to the gallows with you. 
And you just have to understand that on Sunday, a very large Norwegian man and a very brilliant Belgian man are going to attack you with a sledgehammer and a million throwing stars. Whilst uh, Sunderland man watches. Um, we'll move on. <laughs> um, so first game, we do have a Friday night game, and it's not the one you want, Dave. But it is the Battle of the Bees. Um, the two owners that don't like each other, and that is Brentford against Brighton. Um, we bigged up Brentford last week, and they were dreadful. So that didn't go well. Um, but Brighton is a very stodgy stale game against Tottenham, to be fair. The way Brentford kind of flip-flop between good and dreadful, yeah. I'd have to back the steadiness of Brighton. Yeah, I think that's a fair shout. Um, I, I love this game because these are two of the model clubs in English football. These are the two clubs that show that smaller clubs can not only get into the Premier League, but thrive in the Premier League. You don't have to come up and buy a bunch of grocks and appoint a dinosaur when things go wrong. You don't have to kick it long. You can come up, play really nice football, recruit really, really intelligently. You can build your club from a clown show into one of the best-run clubs in England, which is what both of these have done since the current ownership took over. Like Brentford before Matthew Benham was an absolute laughingstock. And Brighton were a shambles before Tony Bloom bought. And when I say shambles, guy, we could do five hours on different things that happened around Brighton Football Club in the 10 years prior to Tony Bloom, let alone what happened before that. It was just an absolute circus. Was he there for the Gus Poyer crack? Um, I think he was, yeah. yeah. That was uh, fun times. When did Tony Bloom buy Brighton? Hang on. He bought Brighton in 09. Oh, when was Gus Poyet? Yeah, Gus Poyet was after that, wasn't he? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was. He I think Gus Poyet was like 2013 or 14. Like oh, I tell a lie. Gus Poyet was appointed in 2009. First and was, <laughs> he was there for four years, to be fair. Yeah, he does, yeah. To be fair, like he, and he he wasn't awful. It just it ended just, the, Yeah, the end of it was mental. But he, to be fair, did a fairly decent job up until he, he took them from League One into the Championship. So, you know, that's not bad, even if the end of it obviously was um, a complete circus. Comical. <laughs> Jesus wept. Yeah, um, that's another podcast. Hilarious. Um. But I, I really like both of these teams. There's so many good players across both. I was thinking yesterday, like if if Brighton had signed Ivan Tony when Brentford bought him, they would have got him for what five million and some add-ons, and he would be perfect for what they've been doing the last couple of years. Mm. And they probably would have finished in the European spots last year, and they'd probably be top three right now, considering how how mediocre everybody outside of Arsenal and City have been. Um, as Spurs, to be fair, have been, have been pretty good, but they'd be fourth for certain. Um, going into this one, we have obviously 
the big talking point for the week was Enoch Mapu having to retire, and that's horrendous. Um, Jakob Motor also out injured for Brighton. They're not expecting him back till early next year. Norgard, Pontus Janssen and Strakosha out for Brentford. Norgard is the big blow there. Brentford's defence concerns me a little bit. Um, I said in the summer they need to go and buy a starting centre-back and they just didn't do it. They bought Ben and signed Ben Mee, who, with respect, should be a backup. Brighton's defence is always good. Brighton have found ways to score goals this season. Trossard is in a good reign of form. Their midfield is playing exceptionally well. McAllister and, and Caicedo, I think, run this game, and I think Brighton win 2-1. Yeah, I'll be one I'm certainly watching um, tonight. Um, moving on to the early kickoff on Saturday, Leicester, well, we, we answered that question from last week. The Forest game was the uh, was the uh, random result. Um, they certainly went back down to earth after that. Whereas Palace, um, I can't even remember what their game was. What was their game? They beat someone. They I beat think. Leeds. Beat Leeds, that was it. Um, but Leicester, man, they are... Well, they're bottom of the league. Um, do they need to crowdfund sacking Rogers? Is that the crack here? It does seem that way, doesn't it? I was thinking mm. of getting a GoFundMe up and running yeah. because I, I don't understand how he's still in a job. I reckon Rogers has put a tenner in himself. <laughs> <laughs> Only because he knows he's getting it back, though. Yeah. Only because he knows he's yeah. getting it back. Um, I don't know how he's still in the job. Like they were a shambles again last weekend. Went one up, threw it away. They're just a mess. I, I think if because this is an early kickoff on the Saturday, if they lose this game at home to Palace and it's a, another bad defeat, like if they play well and lose, then that's one thing. But if it's another bad defeat like they've had in a bunch of games this season where they go ahead and then just bottle it or just get slapped around a little bit, I think we could see quite a big protest or a big show of the fans wanting him gone after the game, in which case I, I think they will have to take action. I, mm. I just don't think it's tenable anymore. I think Brendan Rodgers has a shelf life yeah. at any club. We, we um, experienced that. <laughs> exactly. Like, he, he got out of Swansea before it went bad. Mm. He stayed at Liverpool a season too long. I think he's a two-year manager, being honest. I think you can get two full seasons at a brand, and I think you've got to get rid of him then. Swansea, two seasons, and they still like him there. Liverpool, if he'd left at the end of 13-14, we'd have thought, oh, that's awful because he'd done really well for 18 months. He had a bad first six yeah. months. Then he had a good 18, mo- a good 18 months. And then it, it all just fell apart. Well, it, always, it seems to be two years he gets more power, cr- yes. crumbles. So if you, yes. someone will figure out... Just no don't more, give him any power. No more power. Just make him a head coach yeah. and don't allow him any say in recruitment. Um, but the problem is then he's... The other problem with him is he's always... At Swansea, at Celtic, and at Leicester, he's always talked himself up for the jobs. And he doesn't just do it directly to the media so that we know it's come from him. Like, when he was at Liverpool, he was known as the king of off the record. Yeah. And he would constantly be speaking to journalists off the record. 
yeah. cozying up to him. It's why you don't see him getting much criticism in the press. Um, he's been the same way at Leicester, talked himself. I mean, do you remember he was all of a sudden he was the favorite to replace Guardiola at City? Well, that all came from him. Like. Um, yeah. But like this is last season was his third full season and it was a mess. And this is just a disaster. And he, even at Celtic, the third full season, the, the third season, you could tell things were starting to get real wobbly. Even though they were still winning the league, you could tell things were going to get wobbly and nobody was sad when he left. He left mm. in the February and nobody missed him. Um, so I think I think it is time for him to just pack up and well, go. So that, what is it, seven games till the World Cup? They could be relegated by then. Leicester, well, let's see. So Leicester have... Yes, seven games, including one in the League Cup. So six league games. Six league games, right. Palace, Leeds, Wolves, City, Everton, West Ham. Realistically, they're all, they're all massive games. Yeah, but realistically, Guy, of, of those six, they should win four. Like, they mm. should beat Palace at home. They should beat Leeds at home. They should beat Everton. And f- fair enough, Wolves is a bit of a tough one, but they should win that. Wolves are not good this year either. Well, strike strikeless Wolves and they're bringing, in a ma- Wolves. they're bringing in a manager who doesn't have the players for his system. Exactly. So, like, they should win that game. And Wolves, yeah, Wolves are a new manager that they're going to be in a bit of turmoil. But if Rogers is in charge, you wouldn't fancy them to win any of those games. Mm. You'd, you'd fancy them to maybe beat Newport County at the Cup, but even at that, well, you wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if they we'll didn't. See. We'll, yeah, we'll so like I mean, they've got seven games to the World Cup. Now maybe their their hope is that they can hold off until the World Cup and then get a manager in, and that gives them six weeks to get you know kind of comfortable and whatever else. But as you said, by then it could be too late. If they mm. were to lose, let's just say they only get four points from those six league games, that will give them eight points. But I mean, Palace or sorry, not Palace, Forest would only need three points in that time to stay ahead of them um, or to be kind of level with them. Wolves would only need two points to be ahead of them. Saints would only need two points to be ahead of them. Like, it would just be, you'd be, and if any of those clubs go beyond that, mm. like if if Wolves went and won two or three in a row, including beating you, mm. well, all of a sudden you're in major trouble. There's a big gap opening up. And the thing is, if you're waiting to the World Cup, Southampton are probably waiting to the World Cup to yeah. assess Ralph, or maybe that'll drop sooner. Villa, Villa will be. Um, who else we got? If Everton take a dodgy turn before then, yeah. uh, they could they could say goodbye to Frank. Like, there's going to be other clubs looking for managers, and you're not going to be the biggest draw because but the financial issues there make it an off-putting job. Exactly, and you're going to lose Telemans next summer, probably for nothing. Unless you can sell him in January, you're going to lose him next summer for nothing. Madison is going to leave because mm. it doesn't look like he's willing to uh, to to extend. Um, and Didi will probably look to leave because it doesn't look like he's going to extend. He's stagnated so much. No, he has. Yeah, really badly. And he started to pick up a lot of injuries. Mm. Now, I do wonder if they were to just say, you know what, let's just go and try and do something really ambitious here. Because in fairness to them, going for Rodgers was an ambitious move. Because he obviously he'd been at Liverpool and he was at Celtic, it was a fairly ambitious move. Um, if they were to turn around and say, "Let's just go and offer Pochettino a big bag of money," 
then maybe Madison would be like, okay, well, I'd, I'd like to play under him. He's proven he's a very good manager. Um, the same thing with Ndidi. Maybe Thielemans looks at it and goes, oh, yeah, Poch, absolutely. Top 10 or 12 manager in the world. Yeah, sign me up. I'll take it. I'll do two years with the agreement that you sell me for 15 million in the summer of 2024 if I want to go. I think Leicester would ha- would take that happily. So <clears throat> I think they've got to make a change. And, you, you know, they're going into this game with a number of injuries. Ricardo Pereira out and Didi out. Nampali's Mendy, they're hoping he's back. Johnny Evans is a major doubt. Timothy Castanier should be back. Ryan Bertrand is out, but probably wouldn't play anyway. And it's a close to full strength Palace team. Nathan Ferguson, Nathaniel Klein, Jack Butland, James MacArthur, and Chris Richards all out. You would argue none of them would start because Joel Ward is nominally the first choice right back. So yeah. it's going to be a tough game. And I'm I'm going to back the Palace win because I've watched both of these teams this season and I know which one is playing well and which one isn't. And the one that isn't is the team that's bottom of the league. Mm-hmm. Palace are better than nine points so far this season. I would say, like, Palace have been better than Bournemouth this season. They've been better than Liverpool this season. They've been better than Brentford, Everton and Leeds this season. Those teams are all above them. Um, so I'm going to back Palace to get the win. I'll go I'll go 3-2 because I do think it'll be a fun game and we know Leicester can't defend. Yeah, and, and Palace with Elisa and Eze in midfield, it's fun. But yeah. <laughs> it can't leave them a tad exposed at times, but it is really fun to watch. Um, moving on then to Fulham against Bournemouth, uh, the championship lads. Um, Mitrovic is back in training by the looks of Marcus Silva's press conference. It's always on my, I don't know why, it's like on my t- uh, Twitter more than Klopp's press conferences, but hey ho. Um, so I don't think goals have been their issue whilst he's been up. They just seem to, obviously, the West Ham game was odd because Chalaba went mental. Um, yeah. But I, losing people like the left, Robinson at left back, it just came to seem to bugger the whole structure of the team. So it might injuries might be the answer to this one. Yeah, I mean, they're still going to be without Chalaba. Uh, Kenny Tete's a doubt, but like you said, it does look like Mitro's back. Willian, God knows why they signed him. I mean, what on earth did they sign him for? Um, I'm guessing it's because Solomon and um, Wilson yeah. were injured. Although I mean, Wilson's not on this list. Is Wilson back? I don't believe he's he's not meant to be, but maybe. He might be back in training, but maybe, slow, yeah. slowly but surely. Working his way back. Maybe he makes, maybe he makes the bench in a couple of weeks. Uh, Kurzawa and Manor Solomon out as well, obviously. So they are going to be missing a few, but at least they're getting bodies back, which is important to them. Um, This is a big game because I know that right now both of them sit in mid-table, you know, eighth and ninth. I think come the end of the season, these two are going to be right down the bottom, scrapping away. And I think the three points here is really important. Now, based on current form, there's no doubt that the current form team is Bournemouth unbeaten in the last, what, five games? Um, Whereas Fulham have lost three of their last four. I think... I think Fulham will win the game as long as Mitrovic plays. 
And as you said, based on what Marco Silva said, it does look like he's going to be back. And I don't trust that Bournemouth defence aerially. Like We saw Sensi get destroyed. I yeah. know it was under Parker, to be fair, but his first few games... He looked he, lost. He, he got a monster, didn't he? And he has looked... He's looked a lot better yeah. recently. Um, and Metham, to his credit, I'm not a fan, but Metham has stepped up and performed well. But I'm going to go the full and win. I'll go 1-0. I don't think it's going to be a particularly joyous occasion. Mm-hmm. And I think with Robertson back, you can stop... <laughs> I don't know what the word is without swearing, but you can stop messing about with like Tim Ream in a back three playing left back at the same t- time as well. So yeah, um, you can actually go back to a normal formation. But yeah, that that's probably an important game, as you say there. Um, moving on to another three o'clock kickoff. Wolves against Forest. Um, Wolves are in a bad way, obviously, without a manager. Um, their only striker is a hundred-year-old finished player. Um Whereas Forest, they got the draw. It was important. The game was dreadful, um, as all games are that include Aston Villa. You'd have to see this as an opportunity for both teams to pick up a point, but it kind of does scream of a draw and a very boring dour draw at the same time. Reeks of the draw. Absolutely mm. reeks of the draw. And then Nathan Collins serves the last game of his suspension. Chiquinho is still out. Ruben Neves is back, though, so that's huge. Um, they'll hope that Bubakar Traore is ready to go. He's he's had a, a bit of illness, but he I think he can be a valuable player to them this season. Raul Jimenez is out. Sasa Kalasic is out. Pedro Neto is out, and, and he's out beyond the World Cup as well, which is a huge blow. Where are they going to get goals from? Where are they going to get goals from? I just don't see it. Now, the, they've got Guedes, who can get you goals, They've got Pedence. I assume those two start up front with, with Costa. But are they going to need the midfield to start chipping in with a lot of goals here? Uh, for Forrest, Omar Richards, Jack Callback, and Nia Kate, uh still out. Nia Kate's not close, according to uh, Steve Cooper yesterday. Nowhere near consideration. Steve Cook against Diego Costa in 2022. Yeah, in the Premier League. I might watch it. I might watch watch this on the stream. This will be amazing. This will be be shocking. (laughs) This reeks a nil-nil. Reeks a nil-nil. Let's go. Steve Cook wouldn't even make a match. (laughs) This reeks a nil-nil, so I'm going to go nil-nil. Yeah, that would be pretty much. It should be. It could be funny, though. God, this game is going to be horrid as well. Spurs against Everton. This is the late kickoff on telly, on Sky as usual for the late one. Um, Everton, 10 men behind the ball. Spurs trying to make Everton have the ball to counter-attack on them. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Um, Everton, Godfrey, Townsend, Patterson, Gordon and Mina all out. Gordon suspended, the rest injured. Abdullah Dukure is back, so that's good. Um, Mason Holgate is 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 a doubt, so you know there's there's that as well. Yeah, um, Mina must be the most injured footballer in history. Has to be right up there. Has to be right up there. Um, Musa Diaby probably still holds that record though. He does. Um, yeah. Tottenham Emerson is suspended, but Kulisevsky's back, and that's huge. Richarlison should be okay. And then Tanganga is out. He had he has 
been out all, all season as far as I can and, make out. And Conte does not like him. <laughs> and Conte doesn't seem to like him. Um, He's below 28. Conte as is. you said, this game is very much two teams that want to play on the counter. But with Kulisevsky back, Spurs are now capable of linking midfield to attack. They're going to be good defensively, and you've got Kane and Son. If they isolate Kane and Son on Connor Cody and James Tarkovsky, it's over for Everton. It's at mm. Tottenham Stadium. Everton have only one way of playing, and without Anthony Gordon, that way is compromised. They do have Calvert-Lewin back fit, though, so that's obviously a plus. But they don't really have anyone to get him the ball. Um, right, McNeil's just not what he was. McNeil hasn't he hasn't been good at all this season. Now he scored that goal against Southampton, but he really hasn't looked good in this team. Now with Calvert Lewin back, he makes a lot more sense because he's never someone to cross the ball. But the him on the right, yes, I don't, I don't get it. Stupid, absolutely well, stupid. Burnley did it. I just don't understand. Play him left wing. Let him sling cross. Let him be way. Stuart Downing. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Let him be a much better version of Stuart Downing. Um. I'm going to go the Spurs win, though. I'm going to go 3-0 to Spurs. I don't see Everton scoring. And I think if Spurs score, Everton have to open up a bit. Mm-hmm. And there's also... There's a little bit of... Everton... Are, Spurs fans hate Frank Lampard. Hate him with a passion. So I can see that kind of trickling into this game and Lampard wanting to make himself the main character as he's wanted to do. So I'm going to go 3-0 to Spurs. Yeah, and I think they've kind of tweaked Heisberg's role as well. I know they've played three-man midfield, but Heisberg seems to get forward much more. Letting him get forward a bit more and, yeah. and join the attack, and he can shoot from the edge of the box as well, which makes yeah. him a threat, which draws the defence out and means that Everton can't just park the bus too much. But buses will be parked mm. at the Tottenham Stadium this weekend. Buses will definitely be parked. If there's a train strike, lads, you know where to look for a bus. It's at Everton. Um, moving on to Sunday, then we have a million games because of Europe and stuff. Uh, Villa against Chelsea, good lord, boring. Um, oh, this is on telly as well. How is that game on TV? <laughs> Why are Aston Villa on TV again? <laughs> well, they're just trying to get all. Just, every team must have a quarter of games. They're just trying to pile them all in. It so has, we can it never has to be have the Gerard factor. Like, do they not understand the football's awful? Yeah, we're just going to hear them singing the Gerard song every bloody minute, aren't we? Um, how much are Chelsea winning by? Although without Reese James, their tap doesn't look as good. Doesn't look as good. I wonder who will play. I could. Si- I wonder will he use Sterling as a right wing back? Oh God. Um, Maybe they don't really have anyone. Well, Ruben Loftus Cheek has played a few games as a sort of hybrid wing back slash. Slash midfielder. I wonder would he play a back four and just play Aspilicueta right back? That that seems like the most logical thing to do. Um, I still think they're going to just cut this Villa team open. Um, Bubakar Kamara out, Augustinson out, Luca Dina out, Leon Bailey a major doubt, and Diego Carlos out. Villa are just decimated with injuries um, in, in key key places. Both left-backs out, which means Ashley Young, who, to be fair, ha- has played quite well. Aston Villa's best player. <laughs> uh, probably, probably. <laughs> um, to, what an indictment on the club. Um, it, I, if, if Villa lose heavily here, I think Gerard is, is in serious trouble. The fans already want him gone. The only reason he's still there is because 
Christian Perslow, the CEO. Which is me. <laughs> yeah, his mates with him and didn't even bother with a recruitment process to try and find a replacement for mm. Dean Smith. Just went and plucked Gerard. Although and Gerard, I think if, if Gerard goes, Perslow will have to go. Perslow has to go as well. Has to go as well. <clears throat> um, Chelsea, yeah, there's some injuries there as well, obviously. Reese James, Wes Fafana. Uh, thankfully, the Wes Fafana injury isn't too long. So he's due back, I think, next month. So that's okay. Uh, Zayic is sick, but he should be okay. And then Golo Kante is out injured, but he's been injured for most of the season. Zayic is definitely getting a spell at right wing back. That is the most potterest um, thing I've ever seen. Yeah, that'd be great. I wonder, will he do that? Like, he played inverted wing backs at Brighton. Like, he played Solly March, who's a left footer, as a right wing back, and Trossard, who's a right footed winger, as a left wing back. I wonder would he try Ben Chilwell as a right wing back, just cutting in field, or even Cucurella and play the other one. Now the problem is he doesn't really have what well, he suppose he could go Chalaba, Chalaba Silva, Koulibaly as your centre backs, and Cucurella and Chilwell as your wing backs might be the best option he has. And let's be honest, it's Villa. He could play it's me. Villa. He could play me or you at wing back. <laughs> yeah. And he yeah, that's it. He's not losing much. Um and we're we're as injury prone as Reese James, so we'd fit in well. Exactly. Um I'm gonna say I'm gonna say a three one Chelsea win. Who the hell scoring for Villa? Ollie Watkins will score against Thiago Silva because Thiago Silva can't run. I'll mm. go three one. Yeah, I'll go three one. I, I, I think Gerard is in, is in the last days of his tenure there. And um, I hate to say I told you so, but but I did tell you so. He's not. He wasn't anywhere close to ready. He's not a good manager at this point. He's got some promise, but Michael Beale was key to most of what happened at Rangers, and it's notable that Michael Beale left in the summer. And if we take a quick look at the EFL championship table, we see QPR sitting third in the league, level on points with Sheffield United, who are top, and Norwich, who are second. Michael Beale has done really good work since taking over a team that finished 11th last year, 24 points off top, mm. and nine points outside the playoffs. It is, mate. It's weird. Obviously, they replaced him with um, Alex Critchley. Alex Critchley, I have to come think of his blood name. The Liverpool link to strong. But if they do sack Gerard, I'm not saying as a permanent manager, but he obviously did a really good job at Blackpool. Yeah, Critchley's Critch the ideal caretaker. If you, if, yeah, exactly. If he's willing to stay. Now, it depends on where his loyalty is. Because if his loyalty is with Gerard, he might go with Gerard. But when is Gerard going to get another job? And where's that job going to be? He's not. Now, he obviously I suppose, has ambitions to be a manager. Gerard could go back to Rangers. Oh God! Because Van Bron, but he did he burn his bridges? Because Van Bronckhorst, the, the fans want him out after the weekend. Um, I wonder has has the bridge been burnt to go back to Rangers? That doesn't do anything for him, though. It does. It allows him to. Well, what's his options? It's that or the Championship. He's not getting another Premier League job. So it's, it's that or the championship. So you have to weigh it up. Like, is managing Rangers and managing in Europe, because you will be in Europe every year one way or another, um, is that 
better than managing in the championship and potentially it is for him but for his development no yeah it's not no agreed 100% agreed but remember reputation and development are separate so because rangers were in europe and doing well people assumed gerard was doing really well whereas if he'd been in the championship slogging away in mid table people would have just gone well he's a mid table championship manager he's not getting another job but van bronckhorst has outdid him everything other than winning the league but yeah. Celtic got better so we agree we agree yeah. completely on that but perception is obviously a different thing and odd, odd. the power of the media is strong behind Gerard. um but he won't be I would bet substantial money that the at the very latest he is sacked during the World Cup break yeah and, I, and I'm not even sure he makes it that far because if I'm Villa and I'm you know, the biggest club in the Midlands, one of the six biggest clubs in England historically, a former European Cup winner. I'm looking at Pochettino and thinking, I can't afford to miss out on him. I think he would take the Villa job. Leicester, I think, would need to throw ridiculous amounts of money at him. And even then, I'm not sure he'd definitely go there. I do think he'd take the Villa job. Because, like, other than recent perception in what way would Tottenham be considered a bigger club than Villa like they've got a better stadium now they didn't when he went there they've got London but that's not relevant to all players Villa have many more league titles more cups European Cup they're the biggest club in the Midlands as opposed to Spurs who are like Historically, the second biggest club in London, but realistically, the third Chelsea, biggest club Chelsea in London. Chelsea are bigger, yeah. Chelsea are bigger than them. Of course they are. Chelsea have bought their way to being bigger than them. So you're the third club in your own city. Whereas with Villa, you're not just the biggest club in Birmingham, you're the biggest club in the Midlands. You're the biggest club between London and Liverpool-Manchester. So you can really start to own the Midlands. And the Midlands is also a hotbed of talent. And if real money was put into the Villa Academy, now the Villa Academy has been good in recent years, but Villa are a club who could do something similar to Chelsea and build a bunch of satellite academies and start to really expand the range from where they can can recruit. And, you know, we see every couple of years, there's like one or two really good players that come out of West Brom. There's one or two really good players that come out of Birmingham. There's one or two really good players that come out of Wolves. Villa could be getting all of them. Like, they could have got Jude Bellingham at 12. Mm. Do you know? They could be getting... I know he's been injured, but Nathan Ferguson's a really talented kid. They could be getting the likes of him early, getting him into the academy, developing him, and creating a real pathway to the first team so you don't end up with another Carney Chukwemeka who your manager just does long-term damage by letting him leave. Now, I know they got a great fee for him, but they'd have been better off having Carney. It's not like they spent the 20 mil. <laughs> no, but like they could have had Carney and the Ramsey, Ramsey brothers yeah. as three midfield players with, say, Bubakar Kamara for the next bunch of years, and all of a sudden you've got one of the most exciting midfields in Europe. Now, as it is, I really like the idea of Ramsey and Kamara plus one more of a similar level, 
Mm. And that could be a great young midfield to develop. And there's there's good fullbacks there. There's a good goalkeeper there. They clearly need a centre-back, maybe two, because Konza has, has fallen oh, off. Been infected. Um, <laughs> but it, it's possible that Pochettino can get him back to what he was. Um, they could do with some help up front. Uh, you know, Watkins is a good player, but he's not really a... A second, nine. He's a second striker. He's a second striker. So, you know, you you throw an Ivan Tony, a Maxence Lacroix, and let's just say, let's just say you even re-up Douglas Louise. Let's just say you get him to commit to the, the future of the club, even for a short-term deal. Then you get an 11 of Martinez, Cash, Conza, Lacroix, Dina. That's a strong back five. Ramsey, Kamara, Douglas Louise as a midfield three, Emmy Buendia as a 10, creating him behind, Tony as the nine, and then Watkins playing just off Tony, but drifting flank to flank and running the channels and being in nuisance and being an outlet. And all of a sudden, Villa would make an awful lot more sense. And that's only signing two players, Ivan Tony and Maxence Lacroix. Now, admittedly, it's probably 80 million, but the owners have plenty of money to spend. They're absolutely loaded. So, and all of a sudden, like that to me is a, is a team that challenges for Europe. That's an 11 that challenges for Europe. Now, you've got some iffy depth, but you'd still have, for all the issues with them, you'd still have Mings, you'd have Ashley Young, you'd have Diego Carlos when he comes back, you'd have John McGinn, You'd have Phil Coutinho, you'd have Danny Ings, you'd have Leon Bailey. Like, that's not a bad group of experienced pros, plus all those young kids from the academy that you can start to give more minutes to. And you can sell a John McGinn, and you might get 25 million for him. You could sell a Tyron Mings, and somebody will be stupid and give you 20 million for him. You know, it wouldn't take a whole lot to turn. Villa, I don't think, into a top half team. But the first thing they need to do is appoint a real manager. Because right now, at this point, Steven Gerrard just is not a good enough manager for a club the size of Aston Villa. Mm. And if he's going to go into another job, he needs to either hope that Rangers would take him back or drop into the championship. And if we take a quick look at the championship... no. Not having a borough job, he's not going to get the borough job because the borough <laughs> job will be gone before him. Well, I don't know where it's bloody going. Um, West handle. Brom, I don't see them making. They, they're making a change now, so they won't be available as well. I think at the minute, um, Huddersfield. But see, I don't know if he'd risk a club that are in the relegation battle because then he could be a League One manager, and I don't think he'd want to drop that far. But I keep an eye on Birmingham. Stoke, who, Stoke always suck manager. They do. Watford, always sack a manager. <laughs> That's Here's a free, ex- free experience. Mm-hmm. Here's an interesting one for you, because they've been a little bit um, changey with their managers. Sunderland, if Mowbray doesn't get them where they want to go, Sunderland could be an option. It's a big it's club. A, yeah, it's a good opportunity. Isn't it? Big club, big stadium, solid fan base. And like, if you get Sunderland promoted, yeah. even if you go straight back down, they will adore you. 
Mm. Like they, they still hold Roy Keane in the highest regard, even though it ended badly because he got them promoted and then kept them up. You know, Cardiff is another big club that have a tendency to churn through man- managers. Um, Bristol City, it's... They're, they've been, I know they've been close the odd occasion, but mad they've not been in the Premier League it's, in my lifetime. It's bizarre. They, uh, like, when have they... They've got to a few playoffs. And who cares? List of, <laughs> we always do it. We do. List of Bristol City seasons. When was the last time Bristol... They haven't been in the top flight in my lifetime. Mm. Um, right, list of Bristol City seasons. So they've been in the championship since 15-16 after two years in League One. They were in the championship oh, back as far as 07. Before that, they spent three... Oh, that's a lot of seasons. That's eight seasons in what is now League One. Um, the last time... The last time Bristol City were in the top flight was the 79-80 season. God. And they got relegated. They'd had a run of four years in the top flight. They'd flirted with relegation a few times, finally went down. Uh, so that four years... That four years is the only four years, Guy, since 1910-11 that they've been in the top flight. Uh, They had five years then. In their entire history, they've had nine years in the top flight. It's a big part of the country. It's a big part of the country. It's a great city. A great city. Um, Oh, Bristol Rovers. Right, let's watch it. We might as well. As well. Geography with Dave and Gary. <laughs> Bristol Rovers seasons. Um, like it's a you've got a good stadium at Bristol. I don't know what the owners are like. Is do anything? Mm. Uh, Bristol. So they, have, they hired Nigel Pearson, so probably probably not great. Probably not great. <laughs> probably not great. Uh, Bristol Rovers. Uh, never. Is Joey Barnes still there? Wanted to. Yes, oh, he God. is indeed. Bristol Rovers have never been. In the top flight, they've had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen seasons in what we would now call the championship, and the rest has been League One, League Two, and lower. Um like Bristol Rovers were in the were in the Conference Premier League in fourteen fifteen, so like they've always been the the secondary club yeah. in in Bristol, but like Bristol City, I mean it is it's it, it could be an opportunity. Stephen Lansdowne is the manager, uh, English born Guernsey billionaire, so you've got a, a fairly rich billionaire owner. Uh, he founded British financial services firm Hargreaves Lansdowne with Peter Hargreaves. Uh, he is a major shareholder in Bristol Bears, Bristol Flyers, and Bristol City. So obviously cares quite a bit about his football club. Um, Ashton Gate's a really nice stadium. It's a lovely city. Like that's that's an opportunity. And like you, if you get them up, you get them up. You're you're made. You're a legend at the club. You can afford to go back down. They won't fire you. Like this would be even 
like when, when Steve Cooper got Forrest up, and I, I initially thought there's no way they'll fire him because he's brought them back to the Premier League. And then there was all the rumours that they'd fire him. Thankfully, they saw sense and gave him a new contract. If if Gerard got Bristol City to the Premier League, they might give him a lifetime contract and build him a statue. Mm. Do you know? So, yeah, like there's, there's a bunch of championship jobs that would make more sense for his development. But if his what ego for the 14th? Him, Yes. Jesus Christ. Slavin Bilic has not had the effect that they had hoped. They have Ismail Assar. Yeah. How is that and possible? And Joe Pedro. And Joe Pedro. <laughs> How is that possible? They're, oh they're just... They were, I don't know, like they didn't back the manager correctly in the oh start. God. Mess. Anyway, we should probably get back to these Premier League games. There's five of the four of them. We planned out Gerard's career path. Yeah, Stevie, uh, if, you need, yeah. if you need help with the next decision... Just Give us a call here. Yeah. Um at twofootedpodcast at gmail.com, Stevie. Let us know. Absolutely. And uh we'll we'll, we'll we'll sort for you. We'll send an email to Bristol. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. Um we'll go through some of these quite quickly. Uh Leeds Arsenal, you'd expect Arsenal. Well, if Arsenal are what they are, they'll sweep Leeds aside because Leeds, albeit have some dangerous players, it's just well, lost draw, lost draw, lost. It seems to be what they're doing, although the pattern suggests a draw. It does. The pattern does suggest a draw. Uh, Arsenal, no Smith Rowe, no Elneny, no Zinchenko. Leeds, no Dallas, no Forshaw, no Hjeld, no Gray. None of them will be playing anyway. Sinister is back, and Junior Firpo should be back um, last week. Jesse Marsh said he'd be back for the Arsenal. In his so the press pre- conference, he did say he's going to roll with um, Pascal Stroke as well because he's been yeah. really good. Um, he's been playing really well. Leeds a due a win. There is a nice historic rivalry between these clubs back at the early part of the 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 last year of the the last year of the old Division One, the start of the Premier League. There was a really good rivalry between these two teams, and then. George Graham, former Arsenal manager, went to become Leeds manager. Um, and there was a nice rivalry between them a few different times. And there's always plenty of needle. Leeds play a very aggressive style. It's something Arsenal haven't seen yet this season because Liverpool were so passive against them. That I do wonder how Leeds would cope with be or how Arsenal will cope with being pressed as well as Leeds will press. Now, Arsenal clearly have a huge talent advantage here, and for that reason, I'm going to pick Arsenal to win the game 2-1. But I do think Leeds could cause them some trouble. Because do you know the team that's pressed them really well has been Fulham, who mm. caused them a lot of trouble? Yeah, it should be a fun game, but it's not on, it's not on TV. Got Villa v Chelsea. And another game that's not on TV, Dave, somehow is Man United against Newcastle, which early part of the 2000s was a good rivalry for a few years. Um, don't know why this one is not on telly. Um, Man United midweek were an embarrassment. Um, Newcastle were, were very good last weekend. Um, answered a few questions. Mm. I, again, I think we mention it every time. As long as Callum Wilson's fit, it just seems to click. Um, Sam Maximin's back, I believe, or he came back last week. Um, so they're getting people back. I think Varane's back for United, isn't he? Which is obviously huge, but I think this one's a tough one to, to call, really. It is. United have a lot of players who are out for this game. Um, Harry Maguire's injured. No real... Now, they're not a loss, but they're just not available. 
Yeah. So which, which means he just can't rotate his team at the minute. So Maguire, McTominay suspended, Dubravka is out, Martial is a major doubt, Donny van de Beek is out, Brandon Williams is out, Juan de Saka is out, and obviously Mason Greenwood is suspended. Um, Newcastle are getting players back. Isak is working his way back, probably not going to be ready for this weekend, but hopefully for next weekend. Shelby is the same kind of on that timeline for next weekend. Matt Ritchie's out, Emil Kraft is out, and Carl Darlow is out, but none of them will be starting. This game is not on TV because United are an abomination and nobody wants to watch them. They're awful to watch. Still better than Villa. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because at least there's a plan. <laughs> yeah. Like United at least are leaning into Ollie Ball. Villa aren't doing anything. It's just float across down the field and hope the ball will go to one of our players and then hope Coutinho can score from 35 yards. Um, at Old Trafford, United should be winning this game because talent-wise, United still have the better players. I have a feeling he might start Cristiano in this game. So I'm going to pick Newcastle to win 2-1. San Maximan against a tired Dallow, who's been overplayed already. Yes, yes. Could, could be fun. Could um, be hilarious. And, and an in-form Miggy Almiron putting classic. in against Malasia, who has no concept of how to defend his inside shoulder and running. And then you get Callum Wilson who just knows how to use his strength and his body up against Martinez, I, I think Newcastle will win the game 2-1. This may be... God, if I said this a couple of years, this may be the most stupid sentence possible. Has Casemiro ever played against someone like Jolington? Um, no. Not really. You don't get many... Six-foot-four box-to-box midfielders who have... You, you, you get a lot of six-foot-four box-to-box midfielders. There's five or six of them in the Premier League, like Dekure and Onana. You just don't get many with the technical ability of a Jolington who can pick the ball up and dribble past two or three players. Um, Newcastle's midfield has been working really, really well for the last month and a bit. And United's midfield still looks disjointed and Bruno Fernandes is not playing well. Uh, he doesn't like playing this style of football. That's so why he wasn't happy under Ollie. Um, Casemiro, I, to me, he just looks really leggy. I think he's, I think he's done. I think that's why Real sold him. I watched him a bunch last season and really wasn't impressed. And I thought if the referee had any sense of courage in the Champions League final, he would have been booked in the first five or six minutes. And then the repetitive fouling would have had to stop. I, I think he's done. And I think United have been sold a pup here. Like they were sold a pup with Varane, just past their best. Mm. They celebrated because it's a big name. United signed a big name to shut their fan base up because they were cribbing and crying about what I think, we're, out and, I think Varane, at least you can get away with it, where I think Casemiro has always been somewhat dependent on his physicality. I know Varane, Varane was a pace, but... And Varane's still, like, yeah. look, let's be clear, they're both still very good yeah, players. Yeah. They're just not great players anymore. They're not world-class anymore. And they, they both the read the game really well. well. <laughs> which, for me, if I was... If I was Eric Ten Hag, I would drop Bruno Fernandes the minute. I would play Fred next to Casemiro and I would play Ericsson as the 10 mm. with Rashford and Anthony 
either side. Now, that doesn't leave me with a striker because unless Martial is fit, I'm screwed. And I don't want to play Cristiano. If if Chris if Martial can't play, I, I'd be tempted to play Alanga up front just to have an outlet ball and pace. Um, but Rashford's probably just the best option. You just try and fix Sancho, wouldn't you? Ideally, you just try and fix Sancho. Ideally, yeah. that's what you do. Anywho, um, what did you say? Two one Newcastle. Two one Newcastle. Yeah. Um, Southampton, West Ham, I suppose the question is, injuries with Southampton, Lavia's 25%, um, so yeah, Gineppo, 50%, he's ill, and Livermento is still broken. Um, But look at West Ham's injuries. Agard out, Cornet, major doubt, Antonio, a doubt, Dawson, a doubt, Carrera, a doubt, Zuma, the whole defence is a doubt, and Ogbonna's ruled out. They've got major issues at the back. Um, they are playing the perfect team. They are like Saints, <laughs> but, but Saints are just weird. We we sit like they've lost four in a row, which one hundred percent means Southampton are winning this game. They are one hundred percent winning this game. When does Southampton play Liverpool? That's probably a good question. That's a good it? question. <laughs> when does Southampton play Liverpool? Twelfth uh, of November, just before the World Cup. Ah, there we there we go. This could run until then. No, no they, they'll win this game. <laughs> Then they'll lose to Bournemouth. Then they'll get a draw with Arsenal. And then they'll lose to Newcastle. So they'll lose to Palace, lose to Newcastle, lose to Liverpool, and probably get knocked out of the cup by Sheffield Wednesday. And the day after they lose to Liverpool, they will sack the manager and try and get someone new in to you know have everything ready when the World Cup break ends and they come back against Brighton on the 26th of December. Sean, Dyke, please. I have a bet with Teddy. I need him. Dye should be good at Saints. I should be good at saying. To be fair, there's a lot of young players. I was going to say. They, I was going to say they've just their whole thing is signing City youngsters. I don't think Dice is the right guy. Just sign what? City's academy coach. I don't know. Might <laughs> as well. Chelsea just come and steal him in a couple of, yeah. couple of weeks. Um, I'm going to go for a Southampton win. West Ham are clearly the better team, clearly. But Southampton make no sense to me. No sense, and in everything tells me they should lose this game. So if I'm going to go for the Southampton win. If he does lose, he must. Be, it must be. He's done. It must be due. Yeah. Yeah. Must be due. I think he's done. Uh, last game, you've obviously covered this on um, over on AI side, um, but Liverpool, Man City. Right. What? What is the hope here for Liverpool? Is it just Ebu and Van Dijk are the centre backs in the world to stop Haaland? Yeah, that is it. The, the, I think they're the only two. I think if you were listing centre backs to stop Haaland. These would be Van Dyke would absolutely be top, and I think Ibu would be second because height, strength, speed, intelligence. I think he'd be second. So I, I would say, if in a normal scenario, Liverpool would be well set up to stop Haaland, uh, but this is not a normal scenario. Now, in all likelihood, Jurgen will send his team out to play with 10 men. As I've said on the Daily Red and on Scouted, what I'd do is I'd go Gomez, Ibu, Virgil, Robertson, Jota on the right, Simicus on the left, Fabinho, Thiago as a double pivot, Firmino as a 10, and Salah up front. And I would have Firmino stand in on Rodri, try and match up as best I can with City's two number eights. Now, it does mean that it's Thiago on... 
KDB, but that also means it's KDB on Thiago when we have the ball. So yeah. that's adv- that's an advantage to us, just like it's an advantage to them to, to have KDB doing whatever he's doing on the ball. Um, the thing is, but, if you if you flip that to a four three three, we know we have to overcompensate the other side. So yes, because Henderson is probably, going to play. It's a, it, I think it's a matchup regardless how we play by yeah. an injury. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. If Liverpool play Henderson, they're playing with ten men, and they will get comprehensively opened up. Uh, I'm going three one City. I know City do have some injury problems, but Liverpool have more injury problems. So City's are John Stones, John Stones, Calvin Phillips. And Kyle Walker. Liverpool, no Diaz, no Matip, no Oxlade Chamberlain, no Keita, no Jones, no Alexander Arnold, and no Arthur. All seven are out. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Liverpool are losing 3 1 this weekend. And that is that. That is all 10 games. That is the show. That is the week. We'll see you Monday. Bye bye. Podcast Network.